This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody, to another broadcast. Great to have you with us. As promised yesterday, I'm going to spend some time today talking a little bit about these woke evangelical leaders and their response to everything that's been going on with the election. They really could not wait to jump on social media and start over-congratulating Joe Biden. They were practically slobbering. It was kind of embarrassing because, as I mentioned yesterday, he's not the president-elect yet. There's a process here that has to be followed. I'm not sure why people like Russell Moore from the ERLC of the Southern Baptist Convention don't understand how elections work. But when he says, let's pray, Christian, here's the headline on his piece, Christians, let's pray for President-elect Joe Biden. Okay, I'm fine with praying for people, but he's not the president-elect. And why are you falling all over yourself to get into this whole thing before... The litigation begins for crying out loud. We have a stolen election. And I'm sure Russell Moore doesn't think so because the ERLC had a piece on the fact that there hasn't been significant voter fraud. This was from the ERLC several days ago. Currently, there has been no evidence that voter fraud has been occurring. Oh, really? That's kind of hilarious. Do you guys watch anything except CNN? Because if you did, you might realize how much mounting evidence there is of election fraud. It's overwhelming. They say there are numerous reasons why widespread election fraud is difficult, if not impossible, to pull off at the presidential level, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. But on the other hand, we have new things like, oh, Dominion, and we have the Hammer, and you know all these software programs that have been used, and people like attorney Sidney Powell have been pointing out that we, we have new ways, not to mention the fact that the mail-in ballot issue is very relevant here. We didn't have massive mail-in ballots, did we, in previous presidential elections, because we didn't have this pandemic, I'm sorry, pandemic that has been occurring during 2020. And I guess we're on the cusp of that all ending. I'm going to get to that a little bit later on in the show. So we have Russell Moore telling us, pray for President-elect Biden. This is the same man, by the way, who despised Donald Trump. He got Donald Trump so mad that Donald Trump came out on Twitter in 2016 and called him a nasty man with no heart. You really have to be some kind of loving Christian for Donald Trump to jump on and criticize you, right? I know he criticizes a lot of people, but not generally Christians. Not generally Christians. He's been very, very good to Christians. And I don't see Russell Moore having flown out to the White House and been the point person for the SBC in the last four years because Trump doesn't want anything to do with him. Other people have taken the lead there. You have people like Pastor Jack Graham in the SBC, Pastor Robert Jefferson in the SBC, not Russell Moore. Why does that guy get paid? I have no idea. I've been asking this question for approximately six years. At some point, maybe I'll get an answer. The answer, though, I think is very plain, and that is he has enough enablers within the Southern Baptist Convention who are also woke and who also defend him to keep him in place. 
He was really on the edge there in 2016. There were a lot of people who were rightly calling for that guy to be thrown out of that job. Didn't happen because he had enough protectors in the SBC, which tells you the extent of the problem. It tells you the extent of the rot in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I'm thankful for groups like the Conservative Baptist Network that are now rising up, gathering together Christians from across the Southern Baptist Convention and churches across America who are saying, no, we're going to stand on the word of God and we're going to fight this garbage that's going on in our convention and God bless them. I'm very thankful for them. But it isn't just Russell Moore. It isn't just Russell Moore at all. You have all kinds of people in what I like to call Big Eva who are out of control and it's coming out during the course of this election. These are the same people who didn't have much to say when churches were under fire during the pandemic and trying to stand up for their First Amendment rights in places like California. Russell Moore was off talking about Johnny Cash. That's what he was doing. And now I guess he's getting some kind of religious freedom award from Robbie George. Are you kidding me? That's like Obama getting a Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, wait a minute. He did. Same thing. But I want to talk about some of the narratives. I hate that word, but for lack of a better term, the narratives that a lot of these woke evangelical leaders are putting out there to try to really kind of play mind games with Christians because they don't really like us. They're really kind of irritated that 81 percent of evangelicals yet again voted for Trump in 2020. They're really annoyed by that because these guys have been knocking themselves out to try to get you to stop voting for Trump. And it didn't work. And they're mad. They're really, really mad. They don't know what to do. So what they're trying to do is gaslight you. Here are some examples of this. I want to go to an October 20th interview over at the Gospel Coalition with Russell Moore. This was a question. Who should Christians? I'm sorry. How should Christians pray during elections? Well, that seems like a fairly fine question to be asking. And Russell Moore said there was a twofold answer to it. He said we need to pray for our rulers and leaders and those in authority. I agree with that. Then he also said we need to pray for ourselves. Listen to cut four. And I think that means knowing some vulnerabilities. Mm. So if you're the sort of person who's vulnerable to kind of political idolatry, right. praying for distance from that. Right. And if you're somebody who's given to just sort of withdrawal from your responsibilities mm. to other people to pray for the courage to be engaged in some right. way or other. So I think those are the kind of the two ways that I would sketch it out. That is really dumb. That is where, first of all, Political idolatry, this is another little mind game that Big Eva likes to play with us. If you don't agree with me politically, your politics is an idol. Who are you to judge whether or not somebody has idolatry as as some sort of a sin by engaging in politics? But it's a guilt-inducing tactic. It's a gaslighting. You may be an idolater. And if you're not engaged, then you need to pray for the courage to be engaged. No, you need to pray that you get informed. Because if you actually were informed about what's going on and you understood your Bible, you wouldn't be able to just sit there. That's the answer. It's just so crazy. Then he downplays the importance of the election. Listen to this. Cut five. Well, for a long time now, in American life anyway, at election time, uh, everything becomes uh, apocalyptic. This is the most important election in our lifetime. We've heard that every (laughs) every four years. And so uh, it always seems that way because there is a lot at stake Mm, uh, in these things. And so having a sense of recognizing really that sort of entertainment basis right. of political life is not something that we're called to as Christians. Right. And so to have this sense of either 
if whoever I voted for wins, mm-hmm. I'm exuberant. Mm-hmm. It's like I win. Right. That's not really true. Right. And if uh, if somebody I didn't like mm-hmm. wins, then that means everything's over. Right. And everything falls apart. Well, that's not true either. Right. And so just having that healthy sense of, of knowing what's uh, what's at stake, mm-hmm. which is big in a yeah. lot of cases in yeah. people's lives. Yeah. And, but also having a kind of confidence right. in Jesus right. in terms That's of where exactly things are going. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Apocalyptic. Those dum-dums. They're always saying that every election is do or die. I mean, why would anybody be worried at a time like this where you have open Marxists, trained Marxists engaging in political violence on the streets of America and looting and burning and destroying and, and taking effigies of Donald Trump and kicking them around and talking about murdering people and actually murdering people at Trump supporters in particular. Why would you be worried about that? Why would you be worried that we have elected socialists to Congress? Why would you be worried at all the things that Joe Biden says he will do if he actually does get sworn in as president of the United States? That's not apocalyptic. I mean, Christ is still on the throne. Of course, Christ is still on the throne. But what they're trying to do with this kind of rhetoric, and it isn't just him, it's also some of his minions, they're trying to get you to feel foolish for being worried about the state of your country. They're trying to get you to feel foolish for actually saying we're in big trouble as a nation because we are choosing between freedom or communism. And that's exactly where we are. It isn't the same as previous elections. Yes, the 2016 election was incredibly important. This one is a much bigger deal because we are that much further down the road of radicalism on the left than we were four years ago. And when you look at everything that Biden wants to do on day one, it ought to scare you. And, and not that we move away from the fear of the Lord. We don't want to be unnecessarily scared. I'm using that word in the term that I think you understand. But we have a very radicalized group of people who have all kinds of globalist plans for this country. And you should be concerned about it, which is why I want to call these people out for moving the church leftward. I'm not going to have it. I can't stop it, but I'm at least going to call it out. We're going to come back on Janet Mefford today. Open enrollment is here, and choosing a health care program is an important decision for you and your family. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. You can find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. 
Every day we make choices, but when a young woman with an unplanned pregnancy has to choose between the life or death of her baby, this will be one of the biggest choices she will ever make. This young mom came to a preborn center under pressure to terminate the life of her 22-week-old baby and was offered choices. When I sort of started talking with Carolyn, she was helping me decide what I can do, like giving me options that there's just not abortion. After meeting her baby on ultrasound and receiving the love and support she needed at a preborn center, this mom had a heart change. Right here, you can see this is the outline of her face. Her hand is right here, her arm and her leg. I was so shocked. I was really happy. I couldn't believe that I have a little child in me. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms to their preborn babies. For $140, you can help rescue five babies' lives. And now through a match, your gift will be doubled. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, Big Eva thinks that you're just kind of dumb. I mean, I really think that's what they think because I'm looking at all these pieces. Christians, let's pray for President-elect Joe Biden. This is Russell Moore's piece. And he talks about in this sort of politically polarized era, it's easy to hope for total victory for one side, whatever that is, and for total defeat for one's enemies, whoever those turn out to be. This sort of mindset is not for those of us who belong to Christ. Okay, Russell. Right. It's both parties are equally awesome and you should never choose between one of them and you should never try to differentiate between the worldviews or the goals of either party because they're just so close. They're just so close. There's almost no difference at all. Right, Russell Moore? And you have Al Mohler saying in, in a briefing podcast, arguing that while President Trump has pointed to what he considers to be election irregularities, there is no serious, credible concern about voting irregularity that is a matter of public record. That's just flat out not true. If there is any credible evidence that there was some effort to commit voter fraud on any widespread effort, then that needs to be identified and investigated. And if it does change the results of the election materially, America should deal with that. Very magnanimous of you, Al Mohler the man who gave us Russell Moore in the Southern Baptist Convention. Then you have J.D. Greer. I, I can't even get into this. Saying the same stuff. Oh, you know, what should your reaction be after the election? Number one, relax. Seriously, that the president of the Southern Baptist Convention advises you to relax. He says one day the United States will be a footnote in history, but the kingdom of God ruled by Jesus Christ will last forever and ever. Oh, well, that's fantastic. That'll really comfort me at night, right? That'll comfort people. I'm sure you have, you know, the people who are being looted and losing their businesses and watching their businesses torched in places like Kenosha and Portland and Minneapolis. They should just relax. Yeah, one day the USA will be a footnote in history. Do you understand how flippant that is when compared with the seriousness and the gravity of making some sort of statement of that sort? Do you know what this world will look like if and when the USA falls? Do you think you have any role as a Christian citizen of the United States, an inheritor of the blessings of liberty, to stand up for your nation at a crisis moment like this? Because I don't think these guys care. 
I think they're so woke and they're so in bed with the left. They don't care. They're in those positions to try to dismantle what so many Christians have handed down to us. And I won't stand for it. I will not be silent on this. And I don't mean to offend anybody. Yeah, no, I do. If you're offended by what I'm saying, then listen to somebody else talk because somebody needs to say these things and somebody needs to stand on the word of God at this moment. And I know you guys do too. And say, no, no. Do you understand what's at stake here? Now, I want to go back to this TGC interview that Russell Moore did at the end of October. Listen to this one. Just remember, don't let your political platform replace the Bible. This is cut six. I often tell people, if you agree with your political party on everything, Mm -hmm. then it might be that your doctrine of inspiration is in whatever your party's platform is in and not in the (laughs) Otherwise, any human human, uh, document or movement, uh, you're going to say, well, because of God's creation, there are some things there that are good, probably. uh, And because of fallenness, there are going to be some things in there that are bad. Right. And we don't belong to anybody. We have to be the people who are saying, well, Jesus is Lord. Right. And so that means that we can find areas to work with all sorts of people and we can find areas to critique and all sorts of people. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, we're back to the same thing. You you are an idolater because clearly if you're a Republican, you you know, you're you're looking at your party platform. If you believe everything that the platform says, then that's your Bible. No, it's not. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Also, let's let's go to this thing that, that he said there that every party says things and because they're part of God's creation, some of it will be right and some of it will will be wrong. So let me ask Russell Moore a question, not that he's listening, but let's just do this hypothetically. What would Russell Moore think of a party that had in its platform things like this? Only citizens can vote or hold public office. Seems pretty reasonable to me. What about a party that said the state ensures that every citizen live decently and earn his livelihood? Reasonable. That makes sense. How about a party that said a thorough reconstruction of our national system of education needs to take place? Well, I could go with that. I think there are a lot of things that could be improved in our system of education. Those are all very reasonable things. And I would think that a Christian that voted for a party that said things like this, I mean, it's a matter of Christian liberty, except for the fact that it's the Nazi party platform from 1920. I got it in my hot little hand here. In February 1920, the National Socialist German Workers Party came up with a 25-point program and included in the party's new program were those points that I just read to you. So all parties are created equal, right? You shouldn't have any party whatsoever, problem whatsoever with the Nazi party because they have some good things out of God's creation. Do you understand how the devil works? The devil works by mixing truth and error. He doesn't come at you with all error all the time. It would be too easy to see what he was doing and it would be too easy to see what he was trying to do and what he was up to. It's always a mixture of truth and error and it takes discernment to see what's really going on. Something that these guys, uh, I guess they didn't take the class on that. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer for a moment. Ed Stetzer of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. This is a guy who marched in solidarity with Black Lives Matter during the pandemic, but talked about churches still needing to be shut down. This is a guy who works for Christianity Today, which ran that article last Christmas, arguing that Trump needed to be removed from office for his quid pro quo with the Ukrainian president on that phone call, which was a total lie, never happened, and the president was rightly exonerated and was not removed from office, exonerated in the public eye because it was proven that he didn't do it. Uh, Quid pro quo, let's talk about what Joe Biden has said about getting the prosecutor in the Ukraine uh, thrown out because he was looking into Burisma. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Hunter Biden and Burisma. Are we going to talk about that ever? No, 
No, because both parties are basically the same. Let's go to CBN News. This was on Election Day. They aired an interview with Ed Stetzer, and he discussed some articles that he did featuring the Trump and the Biden faith advisors. Listen to cut one. I I think ultimately, I mean, these are complex issues, right? So as somebody who is who is pro-life, who is concerned about religious liberty, who's concerned about how we speak about immigrants and refugees, who's concerned about uh, racial injustice. You know, all of these things are not going to be found perfectly lined up in any one political party, which is why Christians, who I think should hold all of those four values and others that I mentioned, might sometimes disagree on how the best way to get to a, a world in which uh, you know, where the unborn are valued and, and people aren't aren't uh, dismissed or discriminated against on the basis of their race or a hundred other things. Okay, that's just ridiculous. It's the same line that all of these guys have been giving us that, you know, if you're pro-life, doesn't mean you have to be voting for a Republican with a pro-life platform. You can vote for the Democrat because the Democrat is for the life of refugees. Yeah, last I looked, there wasn't some kind of mass extermination of refugees and immigrants, illegal aliens coming across the border. No Nobody was grabbing these people by the thousands and and exterminating them in cold blood the way they're doing to our unborn children. There might be a little bit of a distinction there. Okay. He thinks it's surprising that Christians would think you could only vote for one party. More of this stuff. This is cut two. And then I had pastors and church leaders sort of weigh in as well, because here's the thing. I, I think it's kind of surprising that for some people, well, of course you would vote this way. We actually had Karen Swallow Pryor who basically said, vote for neither. And so we, we wanted to ask the question, why would Christians come to some different conclusions, which is inconceivable to some people. But the reality is there are people in your church who didn't come to the same conclusion that I did, and I don't know why they didn't, but they didn't. So mm-hmm. listening to one another and then praying for and with one another, because I think the same biblical values need to be there. These things need to matter to us. There's not a there's not a verse, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say what's the right tax rate. You know, second opinion, chapter four, <laughs> verse 11, doesn't say you know, 28% is the right tax rate. But it does speak about how we treat the, the, the stranger. It does, it does speak about how we, how we care about the widow and the orphan. It does care about the, speak about the unborn. It, do, it does speak about all of these things, but it doesn't fit perfectly into our current political environment. So together, after the election, hopefully before the election, but after the election, we need to be walking this journey, focusing on Jesus, joining him on his mission again and again and again. Yeah. OK, let's go to that. Tax rates. Yeah, that's the only thing that separates the Democrats and the Republicans anymore. Differences on tax rates. Give me a break. Give me a break. That's not true. If it were just about tax rates, I would agree. But it isn't anymore. It's about some of the most important moral issues of our day, not just abortion, but marriage, the whole LGBT agenda. You have the GLAD website, as I mentioned yesterday, getting all in on the Trump Accountability Project. Big Gay is coming in and they want the Equality Act. And when the Equality Act goes through and is signed into law by President Biden, if he ends up being President Biden, that will effectively criminalize Christianity. And as far as I'm concerned, all of these guys who have been saying to us for years that it doesn't matter which party you're in and everything's perfectly the same, they're going to bear moral responsibility for having led us down a primrose path and fooled a lot of Christians into thinking that this was biblical. It is decidedly unbiblical. And I'm not saying God has a political party. I'm not walking into that trap, but I see it clear as day. What is going on? And by the way, when we're talking about the Bible and what it says about caring for the widows and the orphans, uh, for one thing, we're talking about the, the duties of Christians and the duties of the church. But for another point, this brings up something very significant, and it's this. 
You have a number of social services agencies, adoption agencies, and agencies that are involved in foster care, for example, that have been marginalized by the left, like Catholic Social Services in Philadelphia, which is before the Supreme Court, just went before the Supreme Court over this issue. They lost their contract with the city because they said, we're not going to give babies to two men. We're not going to give babies to two women because homosexuality is immoral. Now, what happens to those orphans, if you want to call them that, these poor children stuck in the foster care system? And what happens if they are disallowed from existing, which is what the left wants to do? They want to wipe out any evangelical or Catholic social services agency that deals with adoption or foster care because they want us to embrace homosexuality. What does the left have to say about that? The leftists in evangelicalism, you want to care about orphans, you ought to be getting behind these people. And not talking about the left as if it's some kind of innocuous political side of the aisle. The horrors are to come, folks. We need to think biblically about it all. We'll be back right after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. When you are serving as a faithful Christian chaplain in the U.S. military, you ought to be commended and appreciated for your biblical stances. But my next guest, in trying to be faithful to God's word, found himself involuntarily separated from the Air Force after 28 years of service for preaching a sermon on Christian sexual ethics. And now Vice President Pence's office has taken action to allow Chaplain and Captain Kurt Sizek to appeal his case. So we're going to hear more about it now from the chaplain himself. Chaplain Sizek, great to have you with us. How are you? Thank you so much for having me uh, with you today. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing just fine. How are you? Wonderful. I'm glad you could join us. So you served for 28 years, and then you ran into this problem when you preached this sermon against sexual sin. Tell us a little bit about what happened here originally. So I preached a sermon in February of 2013 in the basic training chapel, uh, we were going through a sexual assault scandal at the time, and I worked there for a while and realized that the trainees really needed uh, uh, some important information on this topic. So preached a sermon. I found out a few days later that a lesbian trainee had made a complaint about the sermon. I got counseled by all the chaplains in my chain of command. Um, my boss, his boss, his boss, and his boss— <laughs> and uh, was eventually removed from working in basic training. Uh, My performance reports were downgraded. My promotion recommendation was downgraded. Like you said earlier, I got passed over for promotion twice and involuntarily separated from the Air Force. Wow. What what exactly was the the terrible thing that you were alleged to have said that, (laughs) that this lesbian was all upset about? Well, she said that I said that all homosexuals were going to burn in hell. What I actually said that day was two things. First, I said, um, 
the church has gotten a reputation for being hypocritical because we look at one sin, homosexuality, and say that's bad, but we turn a blind eye to heterosexual sin, and that's hypocrisy. Yeah. Uh, and then I said, very simply, if you're having sex with somebody that you're not married to, then you need to stop. Sounds biblical to me. Sounds perfect to me. That's exactly the truth. It is exactly the truth. Uh, it is unpopular, I understand, these days, but it is still the truth. Goodness. That's terrible. So what happened when you were trying to endure all of this you know, backlash from the chain of command? What kinds of things did they say to you? I mean, did you have a chance to adequately defend what you say and explain what you had actually said and what you actually meant over and against what the complainer was saying that you meant? Well, in the military, there isn't always uh, a lot of latitude for having a conversation. Uh, I tried to explain that but uh, that didn't go very far. So I ended up having to file an inspector general complaint, a congressional complaint, a reprisal inspector general complaint, and the case with the Board for Correction of Military Records. And my case, most of it under the Obama administration, largely got swept underneath the rug. Uh, So I worked through the senators here in South Carolina. Uh, They weren't of much more assistance So I ended up writing to the White House directly to a number of uh, uh, the staff there, and it was uh, Vice President Pence's office that uh, took up my case and sent it to the Secretary of Defense, who sent it to the Secretary of the Air Force, and then I got a personal phone call from the Director of Staff for Headquarters Air Force, uh, who looked at the information and said, this is the most egregious case of injustice that he's ever seen. Oh, wow. Wow. That Now, how recently was it that Vice President Pence's office got involved? So I wrote to them uh, at the beginning of August. Uh, they pushed it at that point. The Air Force uh, basically gave me yet another form letter. <laughs> got <laughs> a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I sent the form letter back to Vice President Pence's office with another appeal to uh, have them push a little harder and then I got another email from uh, Secretary of the Air Force um, Legislative Liaison Branch. And uh, at that point, that was at the beginning of October. And uh, at that point, they reopened my case. Wow. Now, you were at Lackland, weren't you, in San Antonio? Yes. Yeah. So now the Air Force has come back and said that what happened to you was one of the most egregious instances of injustice that they had seen. What comes of it now? What did they do? I mean, you were involuntarily separated from the Air Force. Could they reinstate you or what what are the possibilities from here? (laughs) Um, Yes, they they could. Uh, So I was I made that uh, another phone call just the other day with the director of staff's office. Uh, just to find out what's happening. So the Inspector General of the Air Force has picked up the case, and he's the one looking into it, um, seeing whether, you know, what options there are. Uh, So at this point, the President of the United States is going to have to get involved because there's really not a lot of administrative remedies remaining. So it's probably going to have to be direct action from him and from the Secretary of the Air Force. 
This is just amazing to me. It's so funny because during the course of the Obama administration, we saw a huge shift in the military by design, and it became obvious that Christians were increasingly under fire. Chaplains were under fire. Folks like yourselves were in trouble for merely stating biblical truth, and then they were overpowered with, you know, just ridiculously, you know, uh, heavy handedness. Do you believe that there is really a political component to it? Looking back at at what was going on during the Obama years in 2013 and and that whole period of time, is this at at root, is this political? Is this cultural Marxism? How do you see it now that you're about seven years out from it? (laughs) It's uh, definitely political. Uh, It's also satanic. Yes. uh, Obviously. Yep. but there's a political component to it. Uh, I'm actually referenced in the Fox News article about Philip Monk, the first sergeant who was removed yep, by yep. Uh, the lesbian training, uh, excuse me, lesbian commander in basic training. Uh, I'm referred to, not by name, but I'm referred to as the bigot chaplain in that news article. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> so you're talking to Philip Monk uh, when he was doing his case. Uh, he's, he was told by his government lawyer that uh, there's some strong forces in the Pentagon and in the White House. Your case is going nowhere. And so uh, I realized that I needed a new administration before I was really going to get any justice. And uh, we're already seeing that with uh, President Trump's administration. Well, I hope that you get it. That's great that they've been responsive to your pleas after so many people didn't listen to you. I'm curious to also ask you what sort of effect it has had to go through what you've gone through just from a personal standpoint. Well, anybody who's gone through difficult circumstances know how heart-wrenching it is, uh, especially, um, you know, so much of who men are is tied to what they do, and it was absolutely a job that I love doing. It's, uh, it's been very difficult going through this process, uh, me personally, spiritually, emotionally. Um, obviously had an effect on her family as well. So uh, uh, not to be heard um, is obviously not, not helpful. Um, you know, had they... Had they fully investigated my case and said, you don't have a case, that would be one thing. But they've left areas of my case without being investigated and witnesses, about a dozen or so, without being interviewed. And they said, oh, we've, we've uh, absolutely done a full investigation. You know, that's obviously hogwash. Wow. I'm so sorry that you've had to go through this. And, and the way that so many Christians have been treated in the military is absolutely despicable. And it really is good, though, to see that this administration has been responsive to you. I'm wondering how we can pray for you from here. Uh, obviously, continued prayer that uh, we'll stand strong in the midst of this fight and that uh, the Air Force would obviously fully investigate the situation. And, you know, if it takes President Trump getting involved, that uh, he would go ahead and uh, and do that. Uh, we have we have a saying, you know, justice delayed is justice denied. Uh, so the longer this drags out, <laughs> the more that is true. Well, we'll be praying for you. Absolutely. And keep us posted on your case, will you? This is Captain Kurt Sizek. God bless you, Kurt. Thank you so much for being with us. And do keep us posted. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. God bless you. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today right after this. 
This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. What did you pray for today? Good health, safety, maybe to meet a goal? Those are good things to pray for. But pastors and evangelists in the Middle East aren't praying for material blessings or for an end to the persecution or difficulties they face. Rather, they're praying for copies of God's Word so that believers will be spiritually nourished and strengthened to live out their faith in this challenging part of the world. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Latin America live each day without their very own Bible. But you can send one today. Give one Bible for only $5, 20 Bibles for $100, or 200 Bibles for $1,000. Whatever you'd like to give, you can become a Bible sender by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. A burning issue worthy of public discussion across America is expanding the Supreme Court. Our government was designed to have three independent branches for an effective system of checks and balances. Court expansion would undermine the independence of the judiciary branch and make it a political arm of the legislative branch with partisan results. Watch a new video on the critical importance of the Supreme Court in ending abortion. Visit lifeissues.org and click on the top banner. Hi, this is Janet. It's been exciting to see so many of you help our ministry partner, Heart for Lebanon, this month. We had a goal to help bring the hope of Jesus to 100 families, and I'm so pleased to be able to tell you that to date, over 200 families have been served. We thank God for those of you who participated, but if you didn't have a chance to invest in what God is doing there, it's not too late. Just call 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499, or there is a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. A lot of people before the election were commenting on the fact that it would be interesting to see what became of the pandemic slash pandemic after the election, depending on who won. And there were many people who said, if the left actually wins, I wonder what they'll do if COVID will just disappear into thin air. You'd think so by looking at how they were dancing and cavorting in New York over ostensibly a Biden win. It's incredible when leftists want to get together and and revel in some moment, the whole COVID thing kind of goes up in smoke. It doesn't matter anymore. Nobody cares about COVID. Nobody cares. But if Orthodox Jews want to gather for a funeral in New York, they'll crack down on them with, you know, full force. That's how it works in New York City. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But in the midst of all this, we get this news now, kind of interesting timing, that Pfizer and BioNTech have now developed this phase three clinical trial for a COVID-19 vaccine, which has been found to be more than 90% effective in preventing the coronavirus. So far, it's not a sure thing, but that's where it is right now. Fox reports the development is a significant step toward combating the global pandemic at a time when many areas are seeing a rise in cases. Again, we're back to case-demic. We're back to case-demic. I know I've said this 100 times, but I'm going to say it 101 times because it has to be said. We were told it was 15 days to slow the spread. Why? 
we were to make sure that we locked down and stayed home to slow the spread in case the hospitals were overwhelmed because we were led to believe that millions of people could potentially die from the coronavirus and the hospitals wouldn't be able to handle all of the patients coming to the door and thousands and thousands and thousands more would die because they couldn't get the care they needed at the local ER. That was what it was all about in the beginning, 15 days to slow the spread. Now it's months, 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 months later, we're all still wearing face masks. And Joe Biden becoming president says he's going to institute a national mask mandate, which by the way, he admitted back in September wasn't constitutional, but he's going to figure out a way because he cares. He cares. Doesn't matter that masks generally don't work. We're not going to worry about that in the places like California and Illinois, where they're most totalitarian about the issue of COVID-19. They're having continual problems, whereas Florida is totally open. You know, it's very interesting how this herd immunity thing works. And we do mourn the deaths of all the people who have fallen prey to it. But most of them have been elderly and or, you know, having underlying health conditions. And that's just a reality. And it's terrible that they died. But you don't lock down an entire society for all of this time in so many places um, and, and institute all kinds of draconian measures when you have a virus that even in the most vulnerable population 94% of the people survive. This is crazy, but it's going to get worse if Biden becomes president, sworn in as president. So President Trump was very glad about this news about a COVID-19 vaccine. He talked about how the stock market went way up and he was very excited. Biden, it says, celebrated the success of the trial, but he knew there was a but. He says, I congratulate the brilliant women and men who helped produce this breakthrough and to give us such cause for hope. At the same time, it is also important to understand that the end of the battle against COVID-19 is still months away. This news follows a previously announced timeline by industry officials that forecast vaccine approval by late November. Even if that's achieved and some Americans are vaccinated later this year, it will be many more months before there is widespread vaccination in this country. Okay. But if 94 to 99.99% of Americans or people across the globe survive it, why the freak out? Because that's their game. Let's listen to what Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York had to say when he was interviewed by George Stephanopoulos on ABC. His reaction to the COVID-19 vaccine was, oh, this is good news and bad news. Listen to cut seven. It's good news, bad news, George. The good news is uh, the Pfizer tests look good and we'll have a vaccine shortly. The bad news is uh, that it's about two months before Joe Biden takes over. And that means this administration is going to be implementing a vaccine plan. The vaccine plan is very important and it's probably the most ambitious undertaking undertaking since uh, COVID began. Uh, Just to put it in focus, uh, we did 120 million COVID tests in this nation over seven months, scrambling, doing everything we can. We now have to do 330 million vaccinations, maybe twice. Uh, My state does more testing than any state in the United States. We did 12 million tests. We have to do 20 million vaccines. Uh, And the Trump administration is rolling out the vaccination plan, and I believe it's flawed. I believe it, it learns nothing from the past. They're basically going to have the private providers do it, and that's going to leave out all sorts of communities that were left out the first time uh, when COVID ravaged them. 
Right. And then he goes on to talk about health deserts and the fact that there are places in America that won't be able to get the vaccines through private providers because they may not have a CVS or a Walgreens. Really? Name me a town in America that doesn't have some kind of pharmacy within reach. Uh, It would be extremely minimal. And if it wasn't right within arm's reach, we could get them there. They could get there. This is just insane. So what should be done by Biden that cannot be done by Trump? That was the question from Stephanopoulos. Here's what Cuomo said. Cut eight. The Biden administration, when you deny when you deny a problem the way Trump did, uh, you can never solve it. And that's uh, true in life. The Trump administration denied COVID, so they were never ready for it. There was no mobilization of the government. Uh, And they're still doing the same thing. They're going to take this vaccine and they're going to go through the private uh, mechanism, through hospitals, through uh, drug market chains, etc. That's going to be slow and that's going to bypass the communities that we call healthcare deserts. Uh, If you don't have a Rite Aid or a CVS, then you're in trouble. And that's what happened the first time with COVID. Why do we have such a disparity in the infection rate and mortality rate in COVID? Because some communities uh, don't have the same access to health care. I'm sure the Biden administration is going to address that. I think his first step saying let's focus on the science, let's depoliticize, testing data, uh, listen to the science is the exact opposite of Trump. But uh, you have two months and we can't let this vaccination plan go forward the way the Trump administration is designing it because Biden can't undo it two months later. We'll be in the midst of it. Uh, And I'm going I've been talking to governors across the nation about that. Uh, How can we shape the Trump administration vaccine plan to fix it or stop it uh, before it does damage? This is just lunacy. Why would you want to stop it? I thought you wanted a COVID-19 vaccine. And when we're talking, by the way, about disparity in infection rates, let's talk about New York nursing homes, shall we? Because it was Governor Cuomo who ordered those COVID-19 positive patients back into nursing homes in March, despite the fact that he knew elderly people were most at risk of dying from contracting the coronavirus and thousands of people unnecessarily died because of Andrew Cuomo. Disparity in death rates and infection rates. You are exhibit A, sir, for why there was a disparity in infection rates in those New York nursing homes. Do you think he's going to be held accountable for that? No way. He'll just do another hit with his brother, Chris, over on CNN and all will be well because everything is Trump's fault. Everything. They want a vaccine. You get a vaccine. You can't even give Trump any credit for that. Oh, no, 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 no. No, it's going to be rolled out to private providers and we can't have that. Give me a break. And, and, and the infection rate was because people didn't have adequate access to health care. That's just flat out not true. It's just not true. And, and they get on these shows and they just lie through their teeth and they do everything they can to just slam their political enemies. And then they move on to the next hit and they're never held accountable and they're never challenged in any way by their favorite liberals who are sitting there interviewing them. It's absolutely crazy. Here's another example of total hypocrisy. This is a story in the Daily Mail. 
de Blasio broke rules, so why can't we? Hundreds of Orthodox Jews ignore social distancing for the funeral of a prominent rabbi in New York a day after the mayor did the same to celebrate Biden's victory. Mayor Bill de Blasio was seen taking selfies with revelers in Brooklyn when Biden was projected as the winner of the presidential election. But meantime, he's going after the Orthodox Jews and threatening to close down synagogues and sending people into schools looking for Jews and knocking on doors and asking people what they're doing. It's unbelievable to me. And and I think people are tired of this. People can see the double standard that's going on between the left and its enemies as they stand around and talk about how we all just need to accept the results of the election. They still haven't accepted the results of the 2016 election, which was won fair and square. They never accepted the 2016 election. And Trump didn't have any help with stolen ballots or mail-in ballots that were fraudulent. Hillary lost fair and square, according to the rules of the Constitution. They're still upset about that. It's just amazing. It's amazing we can't let them get away with it. We'll have unity in this country based around American ideals and principles and based around our Constitution and one nation under God. When we get that, we'll be unified. Thanks for being with us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.